on Ag News Daily. We talked about the western snow. We talked about the snow melting. That's important. We talked about all the heavy rain that we expect to delay planting in the Midwest. But it's also raining in Europe. Listeners, we're winding down the month of March. We are talking today on Wednesday, the 29th. Tanner and Delaney are going to bring you a really killer conversation today that's very timely as it relates to weather. Yeah, it's hard to believe, Tanner, that we are just a few days away from heading into the month of April, which is going to be a very key season for a lot of our listeners. Yeah, and we remember uh, our true listeners will know that uh, about a week and a half ago, we were debating on the go in like a lion, come out like a lamb philosophy with the month of March. And as you hear here in the rest of the conversation, the headlines today is definitely lion-like. We've got a very large storm brewing in the Pacific. It plans to bring lots of heavy rain and mountain snow. We also have uh, snow accumulations possible to our northeastern friends. Even parts as you head back out to the Pacific region would affect Alaska and Hawaii. And of course, we've got some stuff coming our direction in the Central Plains Thursday night into Friday. So lots of weather, which makes today's conversation even more timely. Absolutely, Tanner. But do you have any other weather headlines for us or should we dive into some other news? Oh, let's get right into other news. I'll hit a quick one here. Just a report coming from the Environmental Working Group that states this year's Ag Committee has eight members that have previously received government subsidies. So EWG put together this report stating that one in seven of the House Ag panel have collected farm payments sometime in the past between 1998 and current day, which would indicate that there's probably some support, at least out of that small group, for continuing some of these traditional programs. Well, Tanner, a... uh couple of follow-up stories that I've got here this morning. As you reported on earlier this week, Russia is considering halting exports of wheat and other agricultural goods. And we got word today that Cargill will stop exporting Russian grain at the beginning of the 23-24 marketing season on July 1st, according to the country's ag ministry. They said ceasing export activities on the Russian market will not affect the volume of domestic grain shipments abroad and the company's grain export assets will continue to operate regardless of who manages them. But Cargill will likely export around 2.2 million metric tons of Russian grain in 22-23 marketing year, accounting for about 4% of the country's total grain exports. But following that, they will no longer be doing business there to help out Russia. Yeah, other Russian news, of course, not directly tied to agriculture, but more economic. The International Olympic Committee has provided guidelines that will allow Russian and Belarusian athletes to compete as natural participants in international competitions. That is not to be an element of discrimination, but the Kremlin disagrees. Ukrainian officials are also stating that the occupied city of Mitpol in southern Ukraine lost powers. That is a Russian occupied city currently. And they stated that the power supply was damaged by Ukrainian forces. The UN nuclear watchdogs are continuing to send over representatives. Their chief is headed to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, like we talked about yesterday, to continue to monitor what is going to keep that power facility safe during the military exercises that are increasingly getting closer and more dangerous around that facility. Of course, Moscow is still stating 
that they are willing to work with this crew. Also looking at private military advances from the Ukrainian side, stating that their forces are battered, but still remain firm that Russia will not take over those stances. We'll continue to keep an eye on what's going on over there. But as far as world competition goes, that was a new headline coming out of the Olympic Committee. Well, we have a couple other headlines coming out of Russia and Ukraine here as well. Poland is wanting the European Union to use what they're saying, all the tools at their disposal to limit, once again, the amount of Ukrainian grain entering into the EU bloc market. The prime minister of Poland said on Wednesday that a lot of farmers are feeling the effects of imports on Polish grain prices. And Poland is not the first country that has made these requests to the EU government, but there is a lot of mounting anger, Tanner, it appears in the countryside over the influx of Ukrainian grain, which poses a major headache for Poland's ruling nationalist law and justice party during an election year this year. So certainly they're feeling the effects of the Russian-Ukraine war and are not happy about it by all means. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, producers in the state of Iowa could be happy. The Iowa Renewable Fuels Association announced today that they are renewing and expanding the on-farm biodiesel credit program. They are making $45,000 available to Iowa farmers who choose to run biodiesel. This is a first-come, first-served basis type filling with farmers providing proof of on-farm fuel tanks using a B11 11% biodiesel product, they will receive 25 cents per gallon on B11. They will receive 50 cents per gallon on B20, which is 20% blended, up to $500 per operation. The association launched this program in 2022. The inaugural year had $35,000 distributed to nearly 100 farmers. Biodiesel is a win for the ag community, said spokesperson Coughlin. On multiple levels, it adds value to soybean oil, corn oil, and animal fats. It's supported this year by John Deere and Case International. So uh, it's great to see this program continuing. Well, Tanner, it appears that China's pork processing giant WH Group LTD, which I mentioned earlier this year, that reported major profits and was looking into growing other areas, has officially released word that their poultry processed was 30% more than poultry last year. And as they're continuing to look at diversification, which I reported on again earlier this week, they're also suggesting that they might raise their footprint, not only in the United States, but also in Europe as well, as they reported an annual profit of $1.4 billion just in Europe alone. As they look at moving to the future, however, pork is obviously still a major protein in the China market. And they said that's been part of the reason for the diversification is because of the COVID cases happening there domestically in the country of China, but also as a way to maybe kind of um, stabilize the pork market in China. And we're also seeing that reflected, Tanner, in some additional export sales. China continues to aggressively buy corn and soybeans. And a lot of analysts, as I mentioned earlier this week, are speculating that China is working really hard here, really aggressively 
to rebuild their reserves. They've continued to buy U.S. corn at accelerated rates, and China's not really a big buyer of U.S. corn in normal conditions. And so we've seen confirmation that USDA has purchased quite a bit of U.S. corn. We're also seeing uh, sources indicate that China has bought another 24 cargoes of Brazilian soybeans last week, mostly for shipment in April through July. Hasn't been confirmed yet by USDA, but by all accounts, it appears China is uh, really aggressively stockpiling some of these commodities, Tanner. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the preparation is for. We've got one more headline for me as far as that goes. The USDA announced another $123 million in government payments that will be made under the Inflation Reduction Act to provide debt relief to borrowers delinquent on FSA and USDA loans. The past due qualification is a direct loan as of September 30th, 2020 but by fewer than 60 days and is still currently delinquent. Restructured debt that qualified after February 28th of 2020 or a borrower that owes more interest than principal. So there are still, according to the USDA, too many cases surrounding our farm loan programs that may actually be detrimental to helping the borrower get back on a financially viable path. As a result, this another tranche of payments has been voted on and passed. According to Vilsack, this relief focuses on long-term stability and success of borrowers that are currently in distress. The agency is working on the payments that will go to farmers who suffer discrimination through FSA loan programs. This falls under $3.1 billion in debt relief that was included in the package. So the USDA on October 20, in October of 2022, sent that first round of relief at 800 million. So this tranche is not nearly as large as the first round, but still will be significant to those borrowers that are currently delinquent. Tanner, the last piece of news I have for today, just a quick headline here, and that is a continued tension between the US and China, as Taiwan's president is expected to make stops in New York and California this week as they are heading home from their trip from Central America. She is expected to meet with the US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on her stop in California, which has definitely angered Chinese officials. They have sent some threatening words, it sounds like here, to the US. And simultaneously, a former leader of Taiwan who is more sympathetic to mainland China started a 12-day trip to the mainland yesterday where he's allegedly discussing how to rebuild China-Taiwan relations and reunite the two countries. So still a lot of conflict going on there as well. Well, there you go. I know in the overnight, grains were doing quite well. How are they here sitting mid-morning? They are still pushing higher here at the midday as the May corn contract is up seven and a half cents at 654 and three quarters. New crop corn not pushing quite as high, but still three and a half pennies higher on the board at 575 and a half. Old crop soybeans here today is up five pennies on the day at 1472 and three quarters. New crop beans unchanged here at the midday at 1303 and three quarters. In the hard red May winter wheat contract up 20 cents today at 892 and a half, still trading on news of what's going to potentially happen there in Russia with exports potentially being limited. And in the protein markets here today, we're also seeing some positive momentum here to the upside as well. April live cattle up 25 cents at $1.6520. 20. 
April feeder cattle down 37 and a half cents at a buck 96.85, and April lean hogs down 17 and a half cents at 77.57 and a half. Tanner, we're chatting weather today with Eric Snodgrass, so let's turn it over to that conversation. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. been enjoying this little bit of heat spell we've been having here in the state of Iowa, at least for the last couple of days. But we're going to chat weather today with Eric Snodgrass, Science Fellow for Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, can we expect to continue to see a little bit warmer weather? Well, I, I think Iowa's going to sit right on the boundary where you go across one part of the state, the western and northern part, there's going to be more cold air and into the south and east, you might favor a little bit of warm air. And unfortunately, what that typically does this time of year is put you on the boundary for rain and snow. It puts you on the boundary for, you know, uh, continued delays in planting. And it just puts you right there in a place that a lot of folks don't want to be as we as we enter April. But you're right, the warm spell that came through, at least it melted that snow we got uh, earlier in the, in the week. And and finally made it look a little bit more like spring, but you got to get pretty far south and east of you before we start to just stay in the warm air, unfortunately. Yeah, and we reported on in uh, today's episode on the 29th that we've got some weather hitting all across the U.S. today. we got a storm brewing in the Pacific. Uh, We've also got some potential for some heavy snow coming out of that into our western coast states that are already seeing some flooding. What's that look like? Well, you know, the West Coast has been hit hard this entire winter, but especially the month of, of March. And there are some places in the Sierra Nevada mountains that have, when you melt down all the snow, which is, there are some places, get this, that there's 30 to 60 feet of snowpack. When you melt it all down, we're talking about, um, you know, 100 inches of liquid in that, which means anything additional that's coming right now is just going to continue to make the flood problem even worse. And you're right, there is an absolutely stunning storm system that is just off the West Coast. And that one will eventually, by Friday, uh, be sitting over Iowa. And the big risk there is that opening up the Gulf of Mexico to a lot of moisture transport. And now we've got ourselves set up with a pretty sizable risk of severe weather all throughout, uh, you know, the Midwest, a big chunk of the Corn Belt in the Mid-South. And uh, with all of that, not only comes the threat of severe weather, but more moisture. And that pattern I at least see repeating two more times after this in the next uh, 12 to 13 days. We still have more systems stacked up in the Pacific to kind of do the same thing. So the problem here is that they are hitting areas that are wet and have snow on the ground. They're missing areas that are dry, like the Western Plains, the Southern Plains, or parts of the Mid-Atlantic or down along the Southeast, talking really close to the Gulf Coast. And uh, so it's it's one of those things where you, you look at a map of, of where the precipitation's been as of late, and it's just going to add up there and, and miss places that it's missed as of late. This pattern is just, I kind of joked about it this morning, but it's one of those like wash, rinse, repeat patterns. It just keeps coming back the same way, at least until we get past this first week of April. 
So Eric, that of course bodes the question of what growers can expect this year for planting season. Are we going to see a repeat of 2019 or are we going to see fairly favorable weather? Because we just reported on a story earlier this week about some of that snowfall could lead to flooding along the Mississippi, the Missouri, and a few other major rivers. Yeah, you know, there's anywhere between two and over 12 inches of liquid. That's snow water equivalent. That's how much water is just in that snow when you melt it. That's sitting on the headwaters of the Mississippi River especially, but some of that will get into the Missouri and, and other rivers that eventually get into the Mississippi. Now, remember the, the central Mississippi River, so let's get down there toward like southern Illinois and Arkansas, and then all the way down to New Orleans, they've already had a tremendous amount of rain. So that part of the river and all of its tributaries are already flooding. So we ask ourselves like, okay, there's that much snow there. There's a bunch of snow sitting on the Red River Valley of the north. Are we looking at prevented plant acres being high again this year? You know, it's now almost April, right? So this becomes a real discussion. And I think it's going to be a situation where even if the snow melts, you know, it, it's going to cause uh, like melts early rather than late. We're going to have spring flooding issues for at least the next, gosh, I hate to say it, but at least 45 days uh, in those areas where all that snow sits. Plus, don't forget, these next three systems add more to those areas. So it's going to be a pretty rough go of it. I don't imagine a lot of folks are going to be in fields early at all this year. I mean, I know the insurance dates are up, uh, what, next week or the week following. So there's going to be people that are going to want to go, but I think we're going to have to sit on our hands and wait on this pattern to calm down because it doesn't look favorable for very many folks as we uh, press forward here in the beginning of April. And like you said, Eric, right away at the beginning, though, is it's, it's dumping rain and moisture on areas that already have it. Do our friends in the Southern Plains have any hope for this year of replenishing some of their very depleted moisture levels? Well, I mean, th their wettest season is starting right now. So when we think about the spring thunderstorm season, you know, April, May, and June, that's what can tend to, you know, help with the drought situation. But uh, the, the way the pattern's set up right now, which is cold air west, warm air southeast, is that they just get missed. They have what's called a dry slot in each one of these storm systems, and it just pulls dry air out of the desert southwest. It pulls it over the mountains. And all of a sudden, you just see this extension of the rain shadow covering parts of western Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, eastern Colorado. And instead of them getting rain or even storms out of this, these systems, what they end up getting is strong winds out of the west, blowing dust and wildfire risk. And that's what they've actually got for the end of this week. So I'm afraid that the near term um, you know, outlook for that area is not as good as I had thought it would be for this time of year. So Eric, as we migrate into the summer growing season, what kind of weather pattern are we expecting to see? And I know the, it's the, the further out you go, the harder it is for your models to predict, but what are they suggesting right now? Yeah, you know, so the big climate drivers when we look out there months in advance are primarily, you know, ocean temperatures. And the reason why we look at ocean temperatures is because they're more symptomatic of the overall behavior of the atmosphere. And what we've seen in the last 40 days is a, one of the fastest collapses of a La Nina that I can remember. So, I mean, had we had this phone call 40 days ago, we would have been talking about La Nina, and here we are today talking about El Nino. Now, you look historically, and you would say that we've had 17 El Nino events since 1970, and 14 of those produced um, trend or above trend yields across the country because Usually El Nino events tend to bunch the jet stream up over the Western US where it tends to get hotter and drier. 
uh, in midsummer and the Midwest doesn't. We just tend to have flow out of the Northwest, routine thunderstorms, and a lack of, of serious heat issues uh, during that time frame. Now, every El Nino has a different flavor. And this one's, you know, for lack of a better phrase, kind of coming in hot. And what I mean by that is not only its speed at which some of the models are predicting it to arrive, but also in its overall temperatures. The Bureau of Meteorology, which is out of Australia, they're, they're the most aggressive of all weather forecasting agencies. And they've got ocean temperatures in the central equatorial Pacific kind of up there rivaling what we saw in 2015, what we saw in 1997. I, mean, I can't believe how aggressive they are on that. But let's just do this. If you take half of what they're forecasting, we still have you know full El Nino pattern expected for summer. And that tends to just uh, put the heat west. Now, will it do that exactly? Who knows? We don't have a single model out there right now that has any sort of confidence on just uh, overturning that pattern and making it hot and dry. But it's just always something we've got to look out for. So what does that pattern do for our friends in South America? Well, right now, the recent shift we've seen away from La Nina brought in some extremely heavy rain to Argentina. So in the last week, there are some places that have had uh, four to 10 inches of rain. So remember, that's hitting ground that for the last four months saw literally no precipitation and a very odd February frost event, a very rare February frost event. So now Argentina is going back over drier. Brazil, which had been drier, which allowed them to really finish up uh, what was left of harvest of soybeans and then get the safrina in that still needed to go in, the safrina corn. Uh, models are trying to give them more moisture. So it looks as though that Brazil is going to have a decent finish and possibly a pretty big safrina crop. And the weather seems to be cooperating with that uh, right now. So, Eric, Argentina just reported some rainfall. They, they seem to be reporting more rainfall lately. But the question is, is it coming too late to help with this year's crop that's in the field getting harvested at the moment? Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is an accurate comparison, but, you know, if you think back to 2012 when we had massive drought in, in Iowa and Illinois and surrounding states where we are talking today, right? You know, we had record dryness during the growing season, then it rained in September, a lot of rain. That's kind of what's happening in Argentina. They were dry during their growing season, then it rained hard in late March. That's the equivalent of late September when you're thinking about the different hemispheres. So what can it do? Not, not a whole lot. In fact, there's probably more instances of it causing damage rather than improving the crop down there. So, um, yeah, this is, it's just the wrong time of year and uh, they needed this rain three months earlier. So as we get ready to wrap up this conversation, what are we missing? What else should our listeners know about weather patterns and what we're looking at? You know, I would just say that, um, you know, we talked about the Western snow. We talked about the snow melting. That's important. We talked about, all the heavy rain that we expect to delay planting in the Midwest. But it's also raining in Europe. They need this rain badly because of drought expansion there. It's also raining in China. They've actually uh, had a drought last year, but they're getting a bunch of rain on the Yangtze River Valley. And it's raining very heavily in Argentina. Uh, excuse me, not Argentina, Australia, different A. <laughs> and they're trying to get winter crops planted. And it's fall down there. So they're trying to get those winter crops planted. And a lot of extra precipitation now isn't good. They, they want the extra precipitation about a month and a half from now, once everything is established, uh, to get it to be just perfect before it goes, before they go into their, their winter time frame. So it's interesting just to look at all these major growing areas and see 
a lot of wet weather. I think the only other thing that's important to talk about is it's pretty cold in Canada and the Canadian prairie and pretty cold in the Western U.S. and very cold in the Northern Plains. So we talked about precip, but when is that temperature pattern going to fully let go and start to bring in some warmth? I think that's going to be top of mind for most people listening today. Eric, before we let you go, you put out a great morning weather newsletter. How can our listeners sign up and get that in their inbox every day? Yeah, you know, a, a great way to get it is just shoot me an email. It's just uh, my, my name. So Eric, E-R-I-C dot snodgrass, S-N-O-D-G-R-A-S-S at nutrient.com and shoot me an email and I'll send you the link to get signed up. It's free. You can unsubscribe at any time. But uh, we just kind of go over some of the highlights you and I just talked about uh, in those morning reports just to keep people uh, on top of these uh, weather impacts. Fantastic, Eric. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Always appreciate your time. Yeah, you bet. Well, there you go, Delaney. Eric is so good at presenting the facts as far as it relates to his topics of expertise. It's always great to continue connecting with him. It is, Tanner. And I really love his morning newsletter. I know I pull headlines from that occasionally, but definitely a good resource for any of our listeners who are looking for a great weather commentary. So, Tanner, with that, though, should we let the people go? Yeah, let's let them go. 